All right, the reading is from John 20, verses 1 to 10. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, can I extend my greetings and um, uh, welcome as well. It's lovely to see you all here. We didn't know how many people would turn up. A lot of people are probably at home in a chocolate coma uh, or uh, at the beach somewhere. Um, but it's lovely to see that some of you did make it here. Uh, I have to apologise in advance if I say anything but weird. My brain is totally checked out at the moment. The other day I put, went to put a tub of, full tub of yoghurt into the dishwater. Uh, it's in the fridge. And then this morning I said Happy Christmas to someone instead of Happy Easter. So uh, we are the, the, the three children under three is taking its toll. Mind you, we don't have three under three anymore. We can't really use that excuse. So I don't know. The kids didn't get the memo that uh, it was you got an extra hour of sleep this morning. That's for sure. Um, the theme of new life has is pretty central in our lives at the moment. Obviously, with Joshua being ten weeks old, he's actually about eleven now. Uh, and um, yeah, just the gift of new life is kind of made uh, front and central for us every time I look at him and smell his you know, milky smell and um, when, when he sleeps, when he sleeps. Um, <laughs> it's just amazing to watch that perfect little face uh, and yeah, it's just, I think it's a, a wonderful reminder um, of the gift of new life and of course at Easter we celebrate new life too, don't we? But we don't always hear about it. I couldn't believe it. Anya was given this book for her third birthday. And, well, I can believe it, but it was a Peppa Pig book, and it was given to us by a very well-meaning friend, but they don't obviously share our Christian faith. And I opened it, and I kind of had this tiny hope that there would be something in there of the real Easter, the real meaning. And, of course, pathetically, the climax of the book is finding their teacher who had gone missing in the middle of this giant Easter egg. Um, And so Peppa loves Easter because all of this all of this chocolate and making funny hats and various other things. But talk about being shortchanged. I mean, if she really knew what Easter was about, 
she would really love Easter. And um, the profoundly significant new life is missing from so much in our culture. And I'm not sure why, but this year it seems to bother me more than it has in previous years. Um, So, and maybe it's because we've got young, impressionable children who are beginning to be told about what life's about by competing sources around them. So that's it's really kind of hit home that my, my job is to actually make sure she does hear the real story of Easter. And that very first Easter 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago, involved a hunt as well. Not of Easter eggs, but of a body, as we read. Um, and it ended up with three rather confused people standing outside a tomb uh, and talking to angels, which they were not expecting. And some of you might remember me talking about these angels last year. Uh, For those of you who have either forgotten or weren't here with us, um, where else do we find pairs of angels in the Old Testament? There are two other occasions where we find a pair of of angels in the Old Testament that are significant to the story. And I just saw um, Becca make a hand sign. Yes, yes, the Ark of the Covenant. So the first pair are on the Ark of the Covenant. Within the Ark lay those stone tablets, the law, the covenant law of God that he gave to his people through Moses. And at each end there was a cherubim or an angel positioned on each end and they were faced forwards with towards the centre with their wings stretching up and t- tips touching. And they kind of uh, formed this sheltering, covering presence over the ark, and it was between these two angels that the presence of the Lord would come down and where God would speak with Moses and give us instruction. And it was also the only place, because of the only place where God's presence came, it was also the seat of the atonement. So it's where priests would come once a year and offer their sacrifices uh, because this was the place where the people's sin were forgiven. And it was called the mercy seat. And these two cherubim, these two angels, guarded that place, that very special place, this holy of holies. And it's never of no, no coincidence that when Jesus rose, uh, as discovered by Mary, it was between two angels. One at each at the foot and at the head of the place where Jesus lay and was resurrected. So Jesus himself is now the Holy of Holies. He is the mercy seat. He is the atonement cover. And it's the place where we find sin, uh, atonement for our sins is in the person of Jesus, isn't it? It is... Uh, with the, per- with the person of the risen Lord that Mary could for the first time meet with God without specific ritual and without a human priest to do that for her. And the second set of angels that are significant to remember are those who were at the gates of the Garden of Eden with flashing swords after Adam and Eve had been cast out, expelled from the Lord's presence because they had decided to follow their own hearts and live in a way without God. Uh, they were expelled from the presence of God. And these two angels guarded that gate, didn't they, with their flashing swords. And in contrast, Mary meets these angels and they are ushering her into the presence of the Lord. They are welcoming her back. She's also broken. She's also sinful. But these angels uh, have conversation with her and they say, who are you looking for? And instead, uh, she's not pushed away, but she is welcomed in and she meets the risen Jesus course later in the passage. He is the first of the new creation. He is the first place where we can meet with God in that um, unprohibited way. It's amazing. And it's such a remarkable story, isn't it? And it's this new life that is available to us because of this fellowship that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. 
And it's completely missing in most of our culture, and it, and it grieves us. It should grieve us. And this year, as um, we've been talking about fellowship, and as I've been reflecting on the Easter story, I realise that this Easter story reflects so much of, of the difference between fellowship and community. And for those of you who haven't been here, we have been we're on kind of our third week of talking about the difference between fellowship and community. Um, community is about seeking sameness. Uh, it's inherently seeking to meet the needs of self. We go to a, and we join a community based on what we want or what we need, um, the commonality we have with other people in that community. And we've been talking about the fact that church really isn't community. Church is really more about fellowship, and God desires us to meet together in fellowship. Fellowship is about the other. It's a posture of outward-facing, um, looking out for the needs of others, looking to serve the other. And it's um, what God calls us into together as the body of Christ. And, but first and foremost, into fellowship with him. And if you want to go back and listen to the other two talks, they're on our website. And the events of Easter display the difference between fellowship and community so starkly that if we can't see it here, we're probably not going to see it anywhere. And so I'm just going to go through those really quickly this morning. Um, but we need to start by going back to the beginning in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. In that first creation story in Genesis... God calls forth new life. In Genesis, he creates mankind out of dust so that we could fellowship with him. God didn't have to create anyone. The Trinity is self-sustaining, fully sufficient in himself. There's no, they have no need or lack. They don't, they didn't need, God didn't need mankind. He didn't need to create us. But if fellowship is about the other... And if expression and an expression of God, then God desired to create mankind so that he could express his fellowship. And when you think about that, it's kind of remarkable. And it makes the cross even more remarkable. And we'll get to that in a minute. We talked about the, the break in relationship and fellowship between mankind and God through the events of the fall. And humanity's desire to be autonomous, obviously, and do our life apart from God. And so the story of Easter is one of God who pursues this relationship with us again and again and again, and to repair that break. And when you think about the fact that God didn't even need to make us in the first place, but yet he then pursued broken relation, the broken relationship by sending his own son, that just makes it so much more remarkable. And we have this whole new creation at Easter, don't we? God, uh, John's Gospel telling of the resurrection points to Jesus as the new creation, the new perfect firstborn, the new perfect Adam. And that Jesus, that perfection is what makes this fellowship possible with God again. And if God was after community, if he was after sameness and seeking similarity, well, he would have given up, wouldn't he? Why would he have wanted a community with human race who have walked away from him at the very start, who choose to listen to themselves rather than in, in the enemy, rather than listen to the truth of God's word? Why would he bother? Community doesn't make sense for God. When we read the stories of the Old Testament of people who continually walked away and turned away and turned away and he kept sending grace, grace, grace. Why would he bother pursuing a relationship with us if it was about community, about sameness, about reciprocal um, love? Nothing much has changed. Much of our culture today still turns away from God. And yet he still sent his his son as a sacrifice for us to retain that, uh, that fellowship and that connection also that we could be redeemed and back in relationship with him. This is really true fellowship. This is fellowship. If fellowship is about the other, this is fellowship to the extreme. 
God sacrificing his own son for the other, for us, to have this fellowship with himself and with one another as the new people of God. This is the ultimate expression of love, the ultimate demonstration of fellowship when I, when I think about it. And the invitation to us, which John writes about in 1 John 1, the passage which we've been looking at over the last few weeks. So we've been talking big picture here about the events, but the events of Jesus' death also, when you look at them individually, point to this expression of fellowship. Um, when you think about the night before he died, what did he do at the Passover meal? He washed his disciples' feet. In his fellowship, he served them, including his enemy, Judas, who he knew would betray him. Now, last week I asked you to begin to think about praying for your enemies or praying for people who irritated you or ignored you or, yeah, people that you just don't really click with, whether it's um, in the wider world or if it's in, in church community. Well, can you imagine going to wash their feet? And I'm trying to think of an equivalent, maybe wash their toilet or clean their bathroom for them or something that is kind of beneath you, you would think. Um, it's, Jesus was doing something that the equivalent of a slave would do, and he was doing it for his enemy, the one who would actually betray him. John writes in his gospel, he loved them to, his end, to the end. He loved even his enemies to the end. Why are you laughing at me, Lisa? <laughs> are you thinking about cleaning someone's toilet? Yeah. Right. We'll pray for you, Nice. So he offers them fellowship. He looks out for them. And think of the, then think about the very night that he died. He went to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. He wrestled with his fleshly desire to live. He really wanted to walk away from the cross. He wanted to walk away from the horrors and the humiliation of crucifixion. He was 100% human at the same time as being 100% divine. But he was committed to fellowship. He was committed to looking out for the other. He was committed, therefore, to going to the cross. Because of the fellowship that he had with the Father. And for the fellowship that would then be offered to us. He prayed, not my will, Father, but yours be done. That is a true fellowship prayer. And secondly, uh, he allowed himself to be taken to the cross because of that fellowship that would be then available between mankind and God. He didn't need it for himself. He was perfect. But he did it for the other. He did it for us. He was looking out for the other even when he hung on the cross. Think of the two criminals. He offers comfort and salvation to someone who's hanging next to him. And as he died, he prayed for his enemies. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I'm sure if I was hanging on a cross, the last thing I would be doing would be praying for the people who put me there. And remember last week we spoke about the values of the world, of power, comfort, success, recognition. Those values of the world set against the kingdom of God values, weakness, sacrifice, grief and exclusion. I talked about uh, the only way we can actually begin to live in fellowship with one another is when we have God coming into our lives and resetting our values. Well, when you think about the values of Jesus, he died in the face he died with king, demonstrating kingdom values. He died with sacrifice. He died in grief. He died excluded from his own people. It's amazing. He had the kingdom values in him 100%. He displayed them to the fullest extent. So that he had this radical freedom 
that we talked about, that radical freedom that comes psychologically and therefore the social freedom that goes so much so that you don't care what anyone else thinks of you. You can live as the kingdom requires you to, to live and you can even pray for your enemies. Just meditate on that this week if you have a chance. Think about what was going on in God's heart, Jesus' heart, so much so that he could actually hang on the cross and pray for his enemies. I've always read that and just gone, oh yeah, Jesus prayed for his enemies. But actually, that's profoundly difficult to do. The kingdom of God values in his heart meant he went to the cross. And now as the people of God, we can learn from him. And we can see Jesus demonstrating his kingdom of values even as he experienced death on a cross. Sorry, I've lost my place. Um, And then we have the beautiful resurrection stories, don't we? We heard one of them this morning, which further demonstrate Christ's fellowship. Think about it. Jesus meeting Mary, what does he say? She was a lucky lady, the first one to ever meet Jesus, again, resurrected, and she mistakes him for a gardener. She doesn't immediately recognise him. And so he says to her, he doesn't say, oh Mary, it's you, he's a friend. I've just been through this terrible time. I got hung, I got tortured, I got betrayed by my friend, I got hung on a cross, I got mocked, I got stabbed in the side, I died, I got into the stinky, got left in a stinky ground uh, tomb for three days. I had this heaven in hell experience. I don't know what Jesus would say because I'm not Jesus and I can't imagine being Jesus. But then I came to life again and the, and the angels... I mean, can you imagine what Jesus could have said? So much. And what does he do? He addresses her grief. He says, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Again, he's thinking about the other. His first words to her of concern at her grief. He knew full well why she was crying. He actually didn't need to ask. But he took that moment to model fellowship to perfection, looking to address her needs and her distress. And when he shows up to the rest of his disciples, the first thing he says is, peace be with you. Speaking words to them that they needed to hear. Not, ta-da, here I am guys, look, I can walk through walls. I'm alive again, you don't need to panic. I triumph over death. He's like, peace. I bring my peace. Here's my peace. And that breakfast on the beach story in John 21. I love that story. Jesus sits on the beach and cooks breakfast for his tired friends. They've been fishing all night and haven't caught a thing. Now, I know what it's like to have a husband come home who's been fishing for several hours and not caught a thing. And that's a sad story. It doesn't happen very often, thank goodness. But can you imagine being out all night? And it's actually not just a hobby, but it's what you depend on. For your living. And Jesus calls out to them and tells them to cast their net over the other side, and he provides for them in this miraculous way, and then he cooks them breakfast. He makes sure their nets are full, and then he performs a miracle. In modeling true friendship, Jesus is truly loving them. True fellowship, he's truly loving them. And while Mary and all the disciples are the first to encounter this new life in this fellowship, And Jesus, we are all invited in. In his glorious grace, God has restored relationship for us all, not just those first few people that we read about in the Bible, the whole of humanity itself. We are all invited back into this incredible fellowship with the Trinity, back into his holy presence, between the angels, so to speak. We no longer have to be expelled from Eden. We are invited into that intimate 
place with God. This is truly incredible news. And I have a good mind to rewrite Peppa Pig. It talks about angels and body hunts. And Jesus. And for some of us who grew up in churches, sometimes these stories and these words that we hear at Easter kind of become a bit ho-hum because we've always heard it. And I remember uh, times in my life when it didn't really mean much. Oh yeah, the story of Easter. Yeah, Jesus hung on a cross. Um, But this is actually amazing news and I cannot make it sink into your hearts in any other more profound way than I can make the sunrise in the morning. Only the Holy Spirit can reveal this truth to you and the true depth of this gift of fellowship. So my prayer for us all today is that we would have this ever-deepening understanding of the grace of Jesus and this invitation into fellowship with him and that we would begin to grasp just that little bit more each year and in doing so that as we enter into this fellowship with God we are made more like Christ so that we can allow the kingdom values to rule in our hearts and we can truly fellowship with others and fellowship with, with the rest of the world that so desperately needs, as Jay said, to hear the truth of this. Jesus. And if you're here and you've never actually accepted this invitation to enter into fellowship with God as Lord and Saviour, but you would like to, we'd love to pray with you. Or if you've walked away from this invitation and you are out of fellowship with God and you'd like to come back, we would love to also pray with you. And if you'd like prayer for anything else, maybe Joshua's going to need some prayer. Um, yeah, I'm just going to be over there. If anyone would like prayer, we would love to.